Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Or my first gulp of foam, <laughs> as the case may be. Mm. Claire's going to take a moment to wade through the foam. Today is Tuesday, May 12th of the merry month of May. Hope you all are doing well. Coming out back to sit in the Great Barber here. The uh, murder buckets are still underway, catching in a lot of mice. It's really kind of um, creepy and weird. <laughs> and in related news, something ate my cane begonia last night, which I'm feeling pretty irritated about. So there's a story behind this begonia. And, I, you know, I, if you don't know this about me, and, and my mother does and grows exasperated with me, but I keep things forever. This is like a core part of my personality, that I keep things as long as humanly possible. <coughs> Excuse me. It's been suggested to me that this is uh, a sort of a deep, subconscious response to my dad dying when I was three that I like try to hang on to things. So this cane begonia um, I have had since, well, certainly since we lived in Laramie. Um, it's probably something like 20 years now. Uh, my friend, Rosemary London, worked in a bookstore. She was the manager of an indie bookstore there in Laramie. Uh, she was really good at it too. I mean, she was like the queen of hand selling to the point where she would order the new release hardbacks of the books that she knew I was addicted to. So like the new, you know, at the time, the new J.D. Robb, the new Laurel K. Hamilton, um, Knew Linda Howard's. I really loved Linda Howard back then. She knew all of my crack authors, and she would order the hardbacks of the new releases because she knew I would not be able to resist buying them, and she would sell them to me. <laughs> I would buy them. Um, she was. Uh, she would have made a great drug lord too. So. Uh, Rosemary, they had this cane begonia in the store, and they had trimmed it back, and they had rooted pieces off of it, and she asked me if I wanted them. So I took it, and, and I rooted it, and I have had that begonia all these years. And I had it up on a high kitchen cabinet in, uh, in our kitchen, obviously, and I don't know, so maybe I forgot to water it too often because it was up out of sight. I wouldn't always see it. Um, also, plants just get old, right? So I had finally, uh, this winter, uh, you know, sort of given up on the cane begonia, and I took it down and everything. But there was one little sprig at the end of the begonia that was still had like new leaves on it. So I thought, well, well, let's try and root it. So I put it in some water in a dark colored glass. If you didn't know that, pro tip. Good morning, Mister Wren. Um, that they'll root better if it's a dark colored glass instead of bright light. And it started to root. 
And and I was thinking of it as my little baby group begonia. And when I moved the plants outside, I transplanted baby group begonia out into this pot. And I had a nice shady place, and I'd been nurturing it along. And it was doing pretty well. It had a few leaves and was growing a new leaf. And then last night, something ate it. Yes, something killed baby Groot begonia. I know. And it's probably the pack rat. Deep cleansing breath. So the stem is still there. It's broken off at the soil surface. Um, the roots are theoretically in there. I didn't want to dig it up and see in case it's establishing roots. And I put a couple rocks around it to um, protect it. And we'll see if maybe baby Groot begonia will grow yet again. But that is today's pack rat drama. No, and, <laughs> and David is so funny because he is a trapper from way back. And I know, I know that that's um, a disturbing thing and difficult to reconcile. But, you know, he used to support his family through the winter by trapping coyotes. Uh, and coyotes are actually very difficult to trap. And he, he did a lot of trapping and he's um, very good at it. He's also very ethical about it. And, he, and it's part of why he's good at doing this now. So if... If you can imagine the uh, the good outdoorsman trapper guy instead of drunk and awful trapper guy, David's the good one. So <laughs> when he said, well, I think that that pack rat's got, just this morning he says to me, not an hour ago, you guys, he says to me, I think that pack rat's gone from the secret garden because I haven't seen any sign of activity. And I said, ah, au contraire, mon frère. I didn't say that exactly. <laughs> uh, and I said, no, something ate my cane begonia. And he said, what? Because, of course, he has no idea what I mean by the cane begonia. Or, and I didn't mention baby group begonia. That's just between us. So I came out and I showed him. And, he, and of course, he didn't remember what it looked like before. And he's like, so what was it? Was it a stem? And I'm telling him about how big and everything. And he says, why would something eat that? And I said, I don't know. Nice succulent stem. And said it stripped off the leaves and left those to die. So, you know, maybe it wanted the stick part. I don't know. And he said, huh. And he said, so is it kind of like a celery stalk? And I was like, well, roughly, I guess you could say that. And he's like, huh. I could use celery to bait the trap. <laughs> so now he's he's off doing that. These are the conversations we have in our household. So this is also the same man who never really lived with cats. You know, he lived with barn cats up in Wyoming. But he never lived with pet cats in the house. And I tell you what, he's such a sucker for these cats that um, Jackson has totally trained him to have a midnight feeding. Never in my life have I had a cat who needed to be fed in the middle of the night, but Jackson has got David wrapped around his little toe, and David gives him uh, canned cat food in the middle of the night <laughs> because he believes Jackson can't make it through the night without it. But So David has really learned to love the, our kitties, and 
but he did remark, he's like, you know, all those years I was trying to trap bobcats and figuring out how to trap bobcats. He says, if I'd known I could just set out a cardboard box and they would get in, <laughs> I could have been a rich man. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> so, there we are. Um, and on another topic entirely, before I forget to say so, uh, I am teaching a workshop in June, uh, for the month of June, with uh, Outreach International RWA, an online chapter, and I am teaching a class on identifying and breaking bad writing habits. So you all could check that out. I will put a link in the show notes. We're really going to be talking about uh, what writing habits work for you. Because, you know, I'm all about figure out what your process is and own it. So that's the same two parts as the identifying the bad writing habits and breaking them. So what is your process and what is a bad habit? And then gradually weeding those out. So it'll be an, an introspective class, and I think it'll be kind of fun. Tell your friends if, you know, you guys are obviously all amazing, and some of you aren't even writers, but, uh, yeah, pass the word. I won't do the class if we don't get a minimum class enrollment, and my minimum enrollment is higher than OIRWAs, which... I think they get kind of irritated with me about because I mean I, I do on the one hand I feel like it's absolutely my right to draw a line in the sand and then the other part of me that wants everybody to be happy um, feels a little bit bad about it so I'm always going back and forth but it's just if it's not enough people that I don't get paid enough and it ends up being a whole lot of work for me and not much money and I have to to pick and choose these things I did I think I mentioned that I was writing a couple of articles I wrote an article for the Sefwa blog well I wrote two articles for Sefwa one of them is about an author guide to giving good book recommendations which you will identify as having come from a recent podcast rant. And the other one is about uh, female characters in fantasy novels and how to break away from patriarchal programming, which you will probably also recognize from a recent podcast rant. I am trying to get better about not just ranting to you guys, but uh, writing thoughtful essays. <laughs> go figure on the topic so I wrote both of those articles one will be in the bulletin the patriarchy one will be in the bulletin later in this year and the book recommendations one will be on the blog so our new editor-in-chief Mitchie Trota sent me edits on the blog one and so I am going to work on that today make those corrections I haven't looked at them yet so we'll see. I don't can't imagine it would take all that long, knock on wood. I'm also going to finish this thing that I've been working on. I should come up with a name for it. Uh, it's Secret Project. My secret project that I'm writing in 10,000 word increments 
I have about 8,500 words on it. So I'm going to finish out those last 1,500 words or so today, get that finished, and then do an editing pass on it and work on those edits for the blog post article. Yesterday, I did the very fun interview with Agent Sarah and agency sister Jessie Mahalik. Uh, and that will go up as part of the, the Jean Cocteau Beasley Books video. Oh, no, no, wait, sorry. Retract, strike that. Uh, this is the Ripped Bodice video, which I think they're just going to do outtakes for their Instagram feed is their plan. And then um, Jesse and I will share the full thing to our social media after that. Ripped Bodice hasn't been terribly clear on what they want to do. So we'll find out and I'll keep you updated. But it was a fun interview, all of us in our separate homes. Uh, somebody is making weird noises from the neighbor's house. I think it's like morning coughing. <laughs> so, oh, so then after the interview, I talked on the phone with Agent Sarah about a couple of things. And... There's a, a possibility of a new movie tie-in thing. For those of you who have been listening to me for a long time, you will know that I worked on one of these, I think it was two years ago. Was it two years ago or a year ago? Huh. It was two years ago. I would, I would have to look. You know, my how time flies. And that one was um, a less engaging concept. And although they really liked it, they ultimately didn't bite on it. And this one's a really intriguing concept. I'm, my creative brain's already racing on it. But I did ask a bunch of questions. And Sarah's going to ask them about paying me to write the sample. Because last time I did a fair amount of work um, I mean, it wasn't tons of work, but it was still substantial work. And then they ultimately passed and it was, and I was, you know, no richer for it on our theme of making sure I get paid for the time I spend. So we'll see on that. She's going to find out some stuff on it. And then I may work on that. And then I also pitched her a new idea that I have. And I might write up a few pages on that for her since it feels like, um, you know, it's Tuesday, so I'm sort of in partial week mode. By the time I finish today, we'll see how long everything takes me today, but I might work on some pages of those things for the rest of the week and then next week set into The Lost Princess Returns, which is Ivariel's story. Um, you know, that's just how I like to work. I like to um, really get my head in a thing instead of bouncing around between multiple projects. So it's sort of like one mode or the other. Either I'm doing a lot of little short projects or getting my head into the full thing. <laughs> That's a different song. That's still the Wren. That's Mama and Papa Wren talking to each other. I don't know if they're discussing, like, who's getting what food for the babies or what. <laughs> so, 
let's see. I think that's all of my things that I wanted to be sure to mention today. Yeah. Um, otherwise, you know, things are going fine. Not not a whole lot to report in my world, so I guess I'll sign off for now. Well, I will mention that um, it was interesting that my mom said that she wasn't very intrigued by yesterday's podcast, even though she was nagging me about putting it up. But I put it up late because I had to get my words first, and I did. I got my 3,000 words, and then I had to you know, do hair and makeup for the video call with Sarah and Jesse, and then talk to Sarah, and then... I got off the phone, and actually, I still had, I take it back, I got almost 3,000 words. I still had to get 350 words after I talked to Sarah. So I was getting those when my mom was sending me nagging texts about where was my podcast. And then she wasn't even intrigued by it, because she said she hadn't read any of the books I was talking about, which I thought was interesting. And I said, you have never read The Lord of the Flies? And she's like, no. She didn't even know what it was. She didn't see the movie either. So I was looking it up, and The Lord of the Flies came out in 1954. And she was pointing out that she was in school until 1960. Don't do the math. And, <laughs> and I said, well, you know, but it takes a few years for a book to make it into an academic curriculum. So it would be interesting to look up when that book made it into the academic curriculum. But the movie was made in like 1963, I think. It was something like that. I looked it up. The first movie, apparently there was a second one, which I don't think I ever saw. But I remember watching that movie in school. In fact, even the images, the stills from IMDb brought that back harrowingly vivid. Dave and I were talking about that, you know, just what a huge impression that book made on us, along with other books that were so heartbreaking, like um, Old Yeller and Where the Red Fern Grows, um, The Red Pony. And David said he didn't read Where the Red Fern Grows. He said he thought he started to read it but then it was, uh, he could tell it was going to be like Old Yeller. And I said, yeah, you know, like when you're a kid, you develop that radar, right? You know, they give you a book to read for class, and then the main character in the book has a pet, and you're like, oh my God, this pet's going to die. I'm not going to read this book. What is up with that? Why do they make kids read these books that are so horrifying and heartbreaking? Do they feel like this would build character in us somehow? I've, I've read interesting um, essays on how a lot of those books conspired to make kids hate reading. Maybe it was like the TV industry in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you know, working hard to make sure that people would not want to read. So, and it turns out that stepdad, Dave, who's a little bit older than my mom, he didn't seem to have read or watched it either. So clearly it's like my generation going forward that was incredibly scarred by this thing. Those of you who are much younger than I am, let me know if you were made to read at school. <laughs> I would like to know, like, what was the window of the Lord of the Flies scarring us emotionally? All right. And with that, I'll go on my way. I'll remind you that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Follic Media Podcast Network. And you will find more podcasts that you love at 
frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all on Thursday. Thursday. You all take care. Bye-bye.